I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth. I say that every time because somebody out there may not know who I am. We're located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's just about 15 miles north of Nashville. We're a suburb of Nashville. And I'm teaching. I go through the entire Bible at some time in my messages. I'm teaching on the 70 weeks, the last week of Daniel 70 weeks comes at the end it comes at the end of time it's called 1260 days 1203 score days uh, some people will say well I thought you said thousand was plural it depends on what the 200 and three score is called a determiner. Determiner. If there's something in that's associated with the thousand, if it says a thousand, like it says in the 20th chapter of Revelation, a is a definite article. They don't have any Excuse me, it's an indefinite article, and they don't have any indefinite articles in the Greek. A and an. So when you see a or an, how do you know if it's a or an? It'll have to be in the context. When the Bible says, the experts tell us, a determiner will be like 1,000. 1,000, or even 2,000. That's a, The number will be the determiner, and this two, this 1,260 days, the 260 makes the 1, 1, because the 1,260 days is one half of seven years on a Jewish... 360-day calendar. The Jews, the Jews' year is 360 days on a Jewish calendar. And uh, we've gone through a lot of this, but I'm going to go through the other verses that talk about 1,000 Two hundred and three scores. Score is twenty. Three scores sixty. So when it says a thousand two hundred and three score days, that's twelve hundred and sixty days, and that's half. In fact, when you look at when you add up the days on a Jewish calendar in seven years, there's actually twenty five. 120 days and half of that is 1260 days so when you see that that's a reference back to Daniel 9 27 when the the weeks the man of sin will confirm the covenant with many for one week when it says he will confirm the covenant it cannot mean that he does the that he has anything to do with the covenant. The covenant is God's covenant. Go back over there 
to Daniel 9. I just want to make sure I get this clear to you. I have been teaching on the 70 weeks of Daniel. I started studying it in 1964. I've been in it a long time. And I've read many books. I've probably got a dozen books on the 70 weeks of Daniel. I don't agree with all the authorities. Everything has to add up mathematically for me to agree with somebody. And I don't necessarily agree with everybody that's wrote on the 70 weeks. When you get over here to the seventy to the ninth chapter, and Daniel, all through this chapter, is crying out to God, how long are we going to be in the captivity? When do we get to go home? Talking about Daniel is over in Babylon, along with Ezekiel. Daniel and Ezekiel were carried into captivity around five... 97, 96 B.C. That's an approximate B.C. BC. At that, about that time. So they're over in Babylon, and Israel is over here. It's about 650 miles away from Babylon. When you're studying, you've got to keep the prophets in the right place. You've got to have Daniel and Ezekiel over here because they are servants to the kings of Babylon, particularly to Nebuchadnezzar, to Darius, and Artaxerxes. Those are the good kings of Babylon. That's for Daniel and Ezekiel. But you have to also keep Jeremiah over here in Israel. Here is Israel, right here. And here's Babylon on the Euphrates River. Here's the Euphrates. I don't know how preachers can preach without a map. And this is the Tigris River here, the most powerful river in the Middle East. The one that did more shipping to all over the Middle East is the Euphrates River. And on the Euphrates was Babylon. There was a uh, there was a small tributary between the Tigris and the Euphrates. They say that thousands of Jews lived on this. They lived on that tributary. They did not want to go back and rebuild the temple or rebuild Jerusalem because it was a wasteland after Nebuchadnezzar got through with it and he leveled everything and wiped everything out. So it just looked like a wasteland. And they're rich over here. They get released from prison after they're carried captive. And they begin to prosper and grow in Babylon. Why would they want to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city? They wouldn't. So Jeremiah is over here. All that Nebuchadnezzar left over here in, in Israel, when he carried Israel away, All he left over here in Israel was the poor. Was the poor. What he carried away and destroyed was all the makers and the artificers and metal. Afraid those people, anyone who could make weapons or do anything to attack Babylon, he destroyed and carried these soldiers away and put them in bonds in Babylon. But they finally, the, the, the kings that released Israel 
and that God touched the heart with Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. These were Mede-Persian kings. They gave the decrees to go back and build the temple, to, and Darius is concerning the temple, Artaxerxes concerned the temple, and then Artaxerxes gave the last decree, the fourth decree, to rebuild the city. I've gone through all that and shown you how that that all came about. you got to watch this entire series. Now, so Daniel is praying. He is just in agony all through this chapter. How long we got to be over here in Babylon and not have freedom? And he starts his, his more or less prayer to God in the first verse of the ninth chapter. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus was also Xerxes. X-E-R-X-E-S, X-E-R-X-E-S. Now, you won't get that out of the Bible. You'll get it out of history books. And I gave you a paper that showed you all these all these kings of the Persian Empire. It was Persia that gave these decrees to rebuild the city and the temple. And then when you look at Daniel in the second chapter of Daniel, the second verse of Daniel 9, in the first year of his reign. Now, I know from studying that Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, I, I say these guys' names, Darius, Darius, some people call him Darius, I call him Darius. Darius started reigning in 522 B.C., and it says that Darius was the son of Xerxes. And Darius was a made king, therefore Xerxes was a made king. The seed of the maids, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of Xerxes' reigns, or Ahasuerus, it's easier for me to pronounce Xerxes, in the first year of Ahasuerus' reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in Jerusalem being desolate. It'll be leveled to the ground. So Nebuchadnezzar comes over and carries away everybody and he sends his his head of his army. The head of Nebuchadnezzar's army was a man that had a name that sounded real close to Nebuchadnezzar. His name was Nebuzaradan. N-E-B-U-Z-A-R-R-A-D-A-N. And Nebuchadnezzar told Nebuzaradan, this Jeremiah that when you get over there, this Jeremiah was really a good man and a righteous man. He kept trying to warn those people that I was coming. That Why was he warning the people? Well, for two reasons. Two reasons. God says, I will send 
the world ruling system, the beast to come in and carry you away captive, if you keep going after all these idol gods that you went after while you were a nation from First Samuel to Second Chronicles. Now that's one of the reasons he carried Israel away. Because they kept going after Baal and Grove and Shemosh and Molech and Venus. All the gods of Egypt, all the gods of the Ammonites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Hittites. Israel went after all of those while they were a nation under kings. From Saul, the first king, to Zedekiah, the last king. They were just a bunch of heathens. There were three kings in Israel that were righteous three kings there were some that were semi-righteous and the ones that were righteous was was Hezekiah his great grandson Josiah and David and that was it there was some semi-righteous like Asa when he was young then when he got old he got honorary and Jehoshaphat his son Jehoshaphat had the Bible read through all of Israel other than the fact he ran around with Ahab and that polluted everything. Ahab had married Jezebel from Tyre and Sidon, brought that down into Israel, northern Israel, and he was the king of northern Israel and he brought it down there and all of the all of the priests went down south and then him and Jezebel had a daughter her name was Athaliah and one night when Jehoshaphat or Jehoram I'll get it right in a minute when Jehoshaphat is running along with Ahab Jehoram Jehoshaphat's son sees this this hot looking woman Athaliah says I gotta have her he marries her brings her down south and then when she's she brings her mother and father's gods, Baal and the Grove, down, pollutes southern Judah, and that gives God reason to destroy southern Judah because it's passed from one to the other. But God has Jehu killed Athaliah along with all the sons of Ahab and along with Jezebel, their mother. All over the same system that Constantine brought into the church and renamed the Feast of Saturn, renamed that Christ's Mass. Now, Constantine didn't give Christmas its pagan name. It was a few, it was a few years later that a pope came up Pope Julius I and gave Christmas its pagan name. Just... And that's the same system that Israel was involved in over here. It's the same system that Ahab married Jezebel up here from Tyre and Sidon and brought it down into northern Israel and set up Baal and Grove worship uh, in temples. He built temples for them. And then he gets it married down here because Jehoshaphat, a godly righteous man, runs around with the wrong man. 
That's how evil communications corrupt good morals. It was all because Jehoshaphat wanted to be friends with Ahab, who was a murderer. And whether people believe it or not, that's the truth. Now, now, we've already gone through this chapter. We've talked about uh, here in the ninth chapter of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel prays to God through this whole chapter. How long? How long is it going to be before we're delivered? I would like to read the whole chapter, but I don't have time. I'm working on the last three and a half years of the 70 weeks. We've already said, let me erase this up here. We have already said that verse 25 of this ninth chapter, the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel. God sends the angel Gabriel who is his announcing angel. And he sends him to Daniel. Sends the angel Gabriel. Gabriel announced Mary was going to have a son by the Holy Ghost. It was Gabriel who did his announcing. Michael was God's killing angel. He was his death angel. You didn't want to have any confrontation with Michael. You're going to die. Michael killed 185,000 men in one night. That's better than karate. <laughs> I promise you that. That's He was one bad guy. But what's so amazing about Michael, the Bible says in the book of Jude that Michael would not rebuke Satan because Satan is so tricky. Whoo! That Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. He wouldn't rebuke him. Satan would twist Michael. He was afraid of him. That's how bad Satan is. He is a trickster. Now, all right. Now we're talking about that from the going forth of commandment, 77s, 77s. Sevens. Seventy, it actually says seventy Shabuah. Shabuah means sevens. It says seventy weeks in the text, but it's not weeks as in days. It's seventy sets of seven years. I've said this already, but I need to keep reviewing it. God gave Israel in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. God gave Israel a sabbatical year every seven years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Why are you doing that, Jim? I'm trying to make it simple. One, two, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Every seven years, Israel had to leave the land alone and let it lie fallow. Fallow means don't plant nothing, don't reap anything. That's an absolute necessity for crops to grow 
anywhere. We have the same problem in America, except we got a way to restore the nutrients when the ground pulls it out. If you own, I've said this so many times, I've gone online and looked up and looked up crop rotation. Crop rotation is a necessity and you have to know how to grow crops. And if you don't rotate crops, you cannot, if you own a thousand acres out in Kansas, and farmers do own that kind of property out there, you can't plant the same thing every year on the same ground. What it'll do is suck the nutrients out, and after a few years, you can't grow anything in it. I've had that personal experience myself. Me and Mary lived over on Irvin. We had a little garden area, and we planted it every year. And about eight or nine years later, we'd go out and buy jumbo tomatoes, and they'd come out the size of cherry tomatoes, just little bitty things. I learned that myself. And I, I didn't know what we was going to do. So what those farmers have to do, they have to call a a farm agent out there. Farm agent takes some soil as an environmentalist and take it back to their office and test it and then go to the farmer and say, you got to put certain uh, fertilizer and this and this and this track and that's the only way they can keep growing. We used to have a guy that came here years ago and he had a degree in biology. He said, you've got to have so much nitrogen in the ground for plants to grow. And he said, the thing that gives more nitrogen than anything else is snow. I thought, I didn't know that. But when the weathers have changed and there's not as much snow, that's like the Doyles have told me. The family lives up in Wisconsin said, it doesn't snow here like it used to. And it doesn't snow here like it used to. Back in 1980, when I was in real estate, uh, I have remember treading through a foot and a half of snow to get into some house. It doesn't snow like that anymore here. So it shows the weather's changing, the earth is heating up. Whether anybody believes it or not, it is true. The Bible says the earth is heating up. That when it does heat, when you look in Revelation, I'll just go ahead and throw this in. This is not a democratic or republican issue. It has to do with God. He said, I will not destroy the earth with a flood anymore. But when you go over here and it's talking about the end of all things, I'll just read it to you. In the 16th chapter of Revelation... This is about God turning the seven angels loose with seven vials. The vials are his wrath. The Bible says he's going to pour out of his wrath upon the earth in verse 1 of the 16th chapter. Then you got the second angel in verse 3, third angel in 4. The fourth angel in verse 8, fifth angel. Well, in verse 8, let's look at the, let's look at the fourth angel. Pouring out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. 
and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God. God's wrath is going to be turned upon man at the end of time. During, during the last part of those 70 weeks, and which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. So they're being scorched. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the sea of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Darkness, I believe, is a sign of more spiritual darkness than anything else. Now, let's get back over here to Daniel. They're going to curse God for the, for the heat. They're not going to repent. And then back over here to Daniel 9. Daniel is reading when it says that Daniel, in the, in the ninth chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, well, I flipped over, excuse me. At the beginning of the chapter, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. They had 70 sets of those seven years. 70 sets of them. So that was 70 weeks of years where they never kept their sabbatical years. Can you imagine how bad the crops were in Israel because they were just pulling all the nutrients out? So they're not reaping anything. They're, it's like Haggai, the first chapter says. They go out to, take, to gather a crop and they reap and they got, they got bags with holes in them. That's what it seems like to them because they're not bringing in the crop they should bring in. And that's because Israel was disobedient to God's commandments. He said, if you're disobedient to my commandments, there in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, I'll bring the sword, the famine, and famine is going to come, the pestilence, and the beast. Do you think the sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast was unique to them only, and it wasn't? didn't apply to us it applies to us the sword is wars everywhere we've got wars all over the world the famine means economy we've got famine all over the world there are there are nations in the world i looked up one night on the internet all the nations that are on the verge of bankruptcy and it's dozens of them throughout the world big nations greece italy the united states people all over the world on the verge of bankruptcy and that's the famine that's come the pestilence is disease we got the coronavirus running rampant all over the world that's why i haven't called the church back in to meet we had about five people had the coronavirus here just a small group of people. I don't know how people can gather together in these stadiums and big churches and rub elbows and not get the virus. I believe they are getting it. Now, not just coronavirus, but Ebola, AIDS, uh, smallpox, the virus of 1918. That's all the judgment of God. I don't know that this coronavirus will ever go away. 
And if it doesn't, God will send something else that's worse. We have never been... God has never put a halt on America like he's done with this coronavirus. Now, so Daniel is reading Jeremiah. He's reading Jeremiah. Let's back up to Jeremiah. This is what he's reading. I read it once. I'll read it again. Jeremiah, the 25th chapter. And Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. This is what he's reading because he's reading about about Israel and the 70 weeks. And he's reading here in Daniel, the 25th chapter. And he's reading here in, let's read a little bit of it in the 25th chapter, verse 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words. He's talking to Israel. This is Jeremiah. Jeremiah's the last prophet that preaches in the streets of Israel, telling him, you haven't listened. People say, Jim, you never can. I had a lady at the post office tell me years ago, you never can get crowds by preaching the way you're preaching. I said, I'm not trying to get crowds. I'm trying to tell the truth. You can't preach all the judgments that I preach, that God does not love everybody, that Christmas is pagan, that all men drink iniquity like water. You can't preach that and get a crowd. Then he says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar was the servant of God doing the will of God and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to be doing the will of God. I said a while ago that Israel, there was two reasons that Israel was carried into captivity. I told you about one of them. They went out to Bell in the Grove all that time and God's judgment when Moses left Egypt He took him up on Mount Sinai and said, Tell Israel, when they go back and possess their land, if they don't obey my words, I'm going to send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Well, he sends the sword, famine, pestilence over and over. The beast is the world-ruling system, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Do you think that doesn't apply to America? that we can live the way we want. How is a man going to obey God if the preachers don't tell truth? They are not telling truth. They hate Hated when I say Christmas is pagan, it's Christ Mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and they won't preach it. I don't even see how a man can look at the word Christ Mass. It comes from Christ Mass. How can a man look at that 
and not know. I figured that out when I was 12 years old, that it was Christ's mass. I didn't know what to do with it at that age. I looked at the Pope on TV and I said, there's the Pope and I think St. Nicholas, and it was on Christmas Eve, I think he's supposed to come tonight. I think he was a 4th century Roman Catholic priest. I found out he was a 4th century Roman Catholic bishop. I found that out. I didn't know what to do with it. I was 12 years old, and I was, like I keep saying, I was hitting the nail on the head. And I, if I had known it, I would have seen the, the, the Maltese cross on his garb. And the Maltese cross was a form of the swastika. And it's on the vestments of the Pope. And I would have sent, I would have sent C-H-R and that's the labrum of Constantine, and that's a Roman Catholic symbol. I didn't, it just, and that's on the popes and all the priests. Ch and Constantine said he saw a cross in the sky, and his son's tutor, Lactanius, said he saw that look like an X, and it's a Ch in the Greek. That's what Lactanius said. It's C-H. This is an X in the Greek. This is not an X. It's C-H, and this is an R. So Constantine added the R to it. That's C-H-R, and we get the word X-mass from that. That's correct. C-H-mass. Anyway, I need to get on with this. So, I've read to you out of the 20... Let me go ahead and read this out of the 20... Fifth chapter. Nebuchadnezzar is my servant, and he'll come in and carry you away against these nations round about. One other reason I've given you the one reason that God said he'd carry Israel away captive by the beast. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. You find that in Daniel seven and in Revelation thirteen. It's the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, and the beast with iron teeth. That was the beast. That was the one reason that Nebuchadnezzar came to carry him away. And the other reason was Israel was not paying their tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was over here in Babylon, and he was ruling the entire civilized world. His ruling all the world that was being ruled. And yet they had to pay tribute, just like we have to pay taxes, so the roads can be cleared, so that Nebuchadnezzar would be their champion, their guardian, if he had to come in and had to defend them. The tribute was the same thing that we call tax. And they had the habit, and they refused to pay Nebuchadnezzar, so he had every reason to come over there. It was a dual reason. They got involved in Bell in the Grove, and they wouldn't pay their tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, so he came in and ripped them off the land and carried them away. It's Israel was disobedient to the to the monarch as well as to God. And that's why God calls him here in Jeremiah 3, calls him his servant. 
uh, Jeremiah 28, excuse, 25, excuse me, and will bring them against the land, against the inhabitants, talking about he's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar, this is verse 9, thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolation. He's going to level the temple and everything. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth. Happiness is mirth. I will take from Israel the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. There will be no more of that in Israel. And the sound of the millstone. The millstone was out here in the... It was like a little round stone, and it had a little stone on top of it. That was a volcanic stone. It was real light, and they would grind their their grain in that. That's what the Bible's talking about when it says in the 24th chapter of Matthew, there'll be two grinding it. Two women grinding at the mill. It took one woman holding this one right here, another one turning that millstone. And then he says, Moreover, I will take from them the voice. Oh, I already read that. Verse 11, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years, seventy sets of these sabbatical years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. That's funny because Nebuchadnezzar is the one that carried him away. And Nebuchadnezzar was a possible believer. And it was way down the line that Belshazzar was the king. Belshazzar was not the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He was down the line. I've given you that paper. I don't know if I have one here. I got one down here, I think. I got a list of the kings. I thought I had it. It's a list of all of them, and you can see that Belshazzar. Here's Nebuchadnezzar at the top. Down here, Belshazzar's not kin to Nebuchadnezzar. He's the last king. And he's the one that God's going to take vengeance on because he is a profligate. That's a word that it means just sleaze. He was just a sexual pervert. And uh, But let me read the rest of this. Verse 12, chapter 25 of Jeremiah. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon, which will be Belshazzar, not Nebuchadnezzar. And that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, which is another word for Babylon, and will make it perpetual desolations. Now, and then Daniel was reading out of the 29th chapter. And I'm going to read a little bit of that. In the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah is, he is the last prophet in Israel. He prophesied for 40 years from 626 B.C. to 586 B.C. And 586 is where Nebuchadnezzar comes in and just levels Israel and Jerusalem. Anyway, he's... 
telling them what to do. Look at verse 4 of chapter 29. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive into Babylon, whom I have caused to be carried away. God caused that. And Nebuchadnezzar came in and they slaughtered hundreds of thousands of of Jews. People say God wouldn't kill anybody. He had them killed here. He said, I caused it. I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he says, you're in Babylon. So here's what I want you to do. Build houses. Dwell in them. Plant gardens. Eat the fruit thereof. Take wives. Beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. This is all going to happen while you're in Babylon. That you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city whither I caused you to be carried away captive. I caused it to happen. So anybody that died, I'm the one that's responsible, God says. God can kill people, but it's not murder. For some reason, people want to say, God don't kill, he'd be a murderer. Ignorant. The law. If this is the law, it was not made for God. It was man is under the law. God is above the law. You get it? I think that's funny. People think, God wouldn't kill, that would make him a sin. You're stupid when you think that. God can kill. He said, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. I kill who I want to. For some reason, people want to put God on our level, don't they? Seek the peace of the city. I have caused you to be carried away captive. And I pray unto the Lord for it, for in peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus, this verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners, don't let anybody that's been in Israel that was carried away, don't let anybody that calls himself a prophet or a diviner, that be in the midst of you, deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. Don't listen to nobody. Just settle down, live, get married, have children, plant gardens. You're going to be there for 70 years, he says that in the next verse. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. So, he's going to cause them to return after 70 years. Here's the whole idea of the 70 years in Babylon. In 70 years, everything that was sucked out of the land will be restored in 70 years. So what God is saying, He's saying, you had 70 sets of sabbatical years. While Israel was a nation, 70 times 7. That you never kept Sabbath. And he says, those sabbatical years 
So I'm going to put you 70 years in Babylon. And by that time, I'll give a decree. I'll have these kings that's ruling you to give decrees to come back. And if you don't come back, I'm going to measure out 70 times 7. And they refuse to go back. And if you look at Ezra, Ezra, the second chapter, the Bible says that Israel didn't want to go back. There were millions of people living in Israel. I mean, not Israel, in Babylon. Millions of people in Babylon. They had been released. They were prospering just like crazy. And they didn't want to go back. Here's what the Bible says. I believe it was only about a little more than 46,000 people went back. And millions of them were over here in Babylon. So he says, if you don't go back after the 70 years, and they didn't, maybe you might want to look at that. And Ezra. And Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Ezra. Let's look at the second chapter. And they never did really want to go back. They, in Babylon, they were loosed by the kings after a few years. And they were set up and they could... They could do anything they want to, buy property and own the land, and they began to multiply at breakneck speed. And when you go over here to the 64th verse of the second chapter of Ezra, the whole congregation of Israel that had come back to Israel together was 40 and 2,000. It was just 42,000. 303 score. It was just 42,303 uh, 42, score is 60. 42,360. That's all that came back. They did not want to come back and occupy the land of Israel and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. Now, Let's go back over here to Daniel. See, you can't study the 70 weeks without studying all through the Bible. That's why most preachers don't want to preach on the 70 weeks of Daniel. They don't understand it. I've spent, since 1964 is when I started really studying prophecy. I was hearing about it since my father became a preacher in 1949. And we went to all these fellowship meetings, and I would hear preachers stumble over it, and some doctor of theology would give you just a little bit of it, and they didn't know much about it. And it, it became very interesting to me. I have found out, just like Alva McLean says, that the 70 weeks of Daniel is the bridge between the Old and the New Testament. And it's the very essence of what, how we can find out the second coming of Christ. Now let's get back. So he says here in the ninth chapter, verse 24, that six things have to happen. This is the covenant of God. Six things have to happen. They have to finish the transgression. Uh, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, Israel, or the Jews, and thy holy city, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, though you transgressed against God, you didn't keep his sabbatical years, you went after Baal in the grove, 
and all these things to make an end of these sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. To reconcile, kafar means to atone. Kafar, same word as atonement. And when you make an atonement for something, you pay for it. You pay for what you've done by repenting. And then he says, reconciliation to bring an everlasting righteousness, that has to be at the end of time. And to seal up the vision and prophecy, to seal up means to finish. All the prophecy that's been made, that'll have to be at the end of time. And to anoint the most holy. The most holy was the inner part. It was the inner sanctuary right in here. That was called the Holy of Holies. It was also called the house of God. Boy, that really helps us there. Because Hebrews 3 and 6 says, Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? We are the holy of holies. He lives in us. And the Bible says, just like the ark was sprinkled inside that holy of holies, once a year, the high priest, the high priest was Aaron, or one of his sons. And Aaron had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Now, God killed Nadab and Abihu because they offered strange fire. I don't know what the strange fire was. It could have been something from that brazen altar. It could have been they had to light this altar of incense with fire from the brazen altar. And they might have said, well, here's candlesticks. Let's go down there and light them from the candlesticks. Anybody that was a priest of God, a high priest, if you did one thing wrong, God would strike that man dead right there. And once a year, once a year, one of the descendants of Aaron, when he was retired or dead, they had to come out of Eliezer and Ithamar. Between Eliezer and Ithamar, they had 24 sons. So that's 24 high priests. That is the 24 elders that you find throughout the book of Revelation. They, I'll tell you about that later. I don't know whether the strange fire was something from this altar to light this, or if it was the wrong lighting of the candles. The only fires going was here and here. They had to put incense on this altar here and they had to light it with the fire from here so ain't no telling what they did wrong they had strange fire you'll find that in Leviticus 
the tenth chapter, where Nadab and Abihu, and God killed them when before they'd had any children. Either one of them had any children. So all of the high priests come of Eliezer and Ithamar. And the Bible says, the Bible approaches them in Revelation, the fourth chapter. tells you all about the elders of Israel. And the elders, there's 24 elders, and that's the 24 sons of these two. You can find those 24 sons in Second Chronicles. The 24th chapter. I'll even read that when I get to it. Now, here's what I'm emphasizing and what I've been emphasizing. Verse 25, chapter 9. From the going forth of the commandment, we've already found out. We've already found out. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, There were four commandments of restoration, four decrees. There was the first decree by Cyrus, and that was to rebuild the temple. And that's in 2 Chronicles. The 36th chapter, the last few verses there, they all go together. And then that's also in Ezra. When you flip the page in Second Chronicles, it takes you right to Ezra. Ezra, the first chapter, the first three verses tells you that God came down upon on as upon uh, Cyrus, upon Cyrus and caused him to give a decree to rebuild the temple. You got the second decree. That's you got the second decree in Ezra. Ezra the sixth chapter and Darius is the king. That's in five twenty two when he's the king. Cyrus is the king in five thirty eight when he gives that first decree. Well, Darius, Israel has problem with a man named Tatnai. Tatnai was the satrap, S-A-T-R-A-P. He was a representative of the king of Persia. Persia was ruling all of the world. They had overthrown Babylon, and a satrap was the same thing as a tax collector, a man that was looking after the interest of the king over here of Darius. And he he didn't like the idea of Israel rebuilding a temple, so he threatens Israel. He says, you're a rebellious people. And he said, you don't care what you do, so I'm going to report you to 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 Darius over here in Babylon. Well, Tatnai gets a group of people, goes over to Darius in Babylon, and tells the king, these people are rebellious. Well, I'm going to say it again because I don't think everybody can remember it when I say it once. 
The laws of the Medes and Persians altered not. Once they made a law, it was there permanent. As long as Persia existed. So Darius could not give another decree for Israel to go over there and rebuild the temple. It had already been given by Cyrus. It was law. So he couldn't do that. So what Darius did, he looked for Cyrus' decree who had died years before. He looked for his decree and finally he found the decree in the summer palace of Cyrus. And when he found that decree, he tells Tatnai, Tatnai, you better behave yourself because that is a Persian law and it cannot be changed. You'll find that the Persian law is verified in the sixth chapter of Daniel when these guys wanted to trap Daniel. He'd been lifted up above all the kings, above all the princes of Babylon, and they wanted to trick Daniel. They wanted to trick him, and they wanted to trick King Darius into making a decree against that would get Daniel in trouble. So they go, the princes of the land go to Darius, and they say, Darius, you're the wonderful great king. You're the super king. And boy, you should have a decree that states if anybody asks anything of any of their gods besides you, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. You should have that privilege of having that kind of honor. And King Darius, being very naive, said, Okay, I am pretty good, ain't I? So he made the decree once, and the Bible says that it was according to the laws of the Medes and Persians that altered not. And once he said that, or once he wrote it down, it was law. And they are, and all those super princes know that Daniel had been made the top prince of Israel. And they went to Darius and said, Hey, you got to do what that decree says. We went and saw Daniel. He didn't even try to hide what he was doing. He sat in front of his window and bowed down his God and asked a decree of his God. You got to put him into the lion's den. And Darius was very sad because he loved Daniel. He said, that's the law and I've made it. Okay. Well, those lions were hungry. They kept them hungry. But God put them asleep. And when Daniel, when Daniel laid down, he probably laid down with one of his heads as a lion as a pillow. And when he brought him, when he brought Daniel out in his seat, Darius said, "Your God will save you, Daniel." Well, when he brought him out, he said, "Now these men that have plotted against you, they've got to die in the lion's den." And they threw them in and they ripped those guys apart. All because of a tricky bunch of people. They knew that the laws and the Persians of the Medes and the Persians altered not. So the same thing applies. Everywhere the Medes and the Persians 
are ruling. So, when you get over here to, I was using that for an illustration, these decrees. That's why Darius could not make a decree that about not building the temple. He had to find the decree of Cyrus. I said it last week. If you go out here on the highway and a sign says 70 miles an hour and you say, I'm going to go before the committee in Nashville and ask them if we can make a law that they cannot exceed 70 miles an hour after they already got one. And the sign is up there. You can't make it again. It's already made. That's the way the maids and the Persians were. So all Darius could do is confirm this decree. That was the second decree, second. And then the third decree was also was by Artaxerxes, A R T A X E R X E S. He was also a Persian king. Persian king. The Mede and the Persian Empire was a dual empire. Persian Mede Empire. When you find the Medes and the Persians in Daniel 8, it says there was a goat coming forward talking about the Persian Empire and it had two horns and one horn was taller than the other. That's because the Persians was the strongest between the Persians and the Medes. It's believed that the Medes very possibly may have been the Kurds. The Kurds came and lived in the top of what is Iran now. They lived in the top of Persia, and it's believed they had migrated from Europe over there and lived at the top of the Mede Empire. I've even done a little research on that, on the Kurds. I was interested in who they were. All right. Now, where was I? Third decree. Artaxerxes. That's in Ezra, the seventh chapter. Isn't that amazing? These decrees of the Medes and Persians were in the book of Ezra, and I never even heard any preacher preach on Ezra. And Ezra was a descendant of Aaron. He was a high priest. He was a descendant of one of these men here, Eliezer or Ithamar. And he is the man that put the Old Testament together, Ezra. Gosh, you'd think there wouldn't be any more anybody any more important than him in the Old Testament. He put the Old Testament together. And then you had the third decree, Artaxerxes, and that's in Ezra, the seventh chapter. And that was just to supply the temple with the things it needed, plus more priests. Then you get to the fourth decree. This had to do with the temple, the temple, the temple. There's been all kinds of arguments about this. And it wouldn't be any argument if the doctors of theology or the preachers that preached it brought out no 
altering the Medes and the Persians' decrees. Period. You find that in the book of Nehemiah. You find that in the book of Esther. I don't want to go through that again. That would take me a while to go through that. So, the fourth decree was in Nehemiah, the second chapter by Artaxerxes. We'll just call him Art, okay? Art, Artaxerxes gave the decree in Nehemiah, the second chapter. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes. The closest man that you could possibly be to a man was the cupbearer. You would take his cup, you give it to him, and if he was suspicious of somebody trying to overthrow him, he'd have you taste it first as his cupbearer. If you fell dead, he wouldn't drink it. And he was the closest man to him. They would usually uh, cast. They would castrate the cupbearers, so the cupbearer couldn't bring anyone against the king. Couldn't have any children, and couldn't do anything to take him down. And his allegiance would be to the king only. So Nehemiah was probably uh, a eunuch. That's what a eunuch was. Now, the thing I've been trying to get at is that 27th verse of the ninth chapter tells you about, God says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to measure these out from the going forth of the commandment. If you don't repent after those 70 years where the land can enjoy its Sabbaths, that's the way God puts it, in Leviticus, the 26th chapter, and in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, till the land enjoys her Sabbaths. If you're going to keep Sabbath, you're going to have to keep every Sabbath. Every feast day was a Sabbath. The 10th day of the 7th month, the 14th day of the 1st month, that was Passover, the 10th day of the 7th month, was the Day of Atonement. You're going to have to keep those and offer. You're going to have to offer lambs and goats, and you're going to have to have a descendant of one of these guys to do it if you're going to keep the true Sabbath. Sabbaths are spiritual. Now, I have to emphasize the 27th chapter. You've got to emphasize. How much time to have, Mike? Maybe I can get somewhere in this. And he, speaking to the man of sin, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. He cannot confirm God's covenant, which is in the 24th verse, to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make a reconciliation for iniquity. That's the confirmation of God's covenant. How can the man of sin confirm God's covenant? By beating the church... By scourging the church, scourging Israel for the last seven years. But the first three weeks, the first three and a half weeks, according to this verse, will be peace. And the church in the three and a half weeks the second three and a half weeks 
will be great tribulation such as was not from the beginning of time nor ever shall be. I believe we may not be far from those that 70th week. With what's going on in the world? All right. Let's read that 27th verse. And he shall confirm the covenant. Let me add something there. By scourging the church with many for one week, the Bible separates the 69 weeks from the 70 weeks. The Bible here separates it. There's many people who say, well, at the end of the 69 weeks, according to that 25th verse of this chapter, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, Nehemiah the second chapter, unto Messiah the Prince, from the going forth of his commandment until Christ comes in Jerusalem as Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks, three score, and two weeks. A score is 60. 60 plus 2 is 62. Plus 7 is 69 of the weeks. And that adds up to 483 years. There's one week to go or seven years to go. Seven years to go. There will be a time period which I call the last days. The last days. It'll be the time period of the church from Acts 2 to, I believe, to the end. Very possibly it could be 2,000 years. A day is the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. From Adam until Acts 2, the way God measures time is 4,000 years. 4,000 from Adam. I know that God doesn't count every every generation. He skips some, even in Matthew, the first chapter, which I'm not going to right now. He skips some. When he says, Adam had a son and called his name Seth, and Seth had a son, Enosh. Enosh had a son and called his Canaan, and Canaan had a son named Mahalaleel doesn't mean those are the only sons in there. There could be other sons. We know that the Egyptian dynasty is 10,000 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. We know that. But the way God measures the Bible, it's 4,000 years from Adam until Acts 2. Very well could be. We know that the last days were here in Acts 2. Because Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days this would happen. So they had to be here in Acts 2. Very well could be 2,000 years. That was somewhere around 33 to 35 A.D. So it could be 2,000 years later. Let's just say 2,035. But we don't live on the... We don't have a correct calendar. <coughs> you got 
the lunar calendar, the solar calendars, you got the Jewish calendar, you got Julian calendar, and they're all different. I'm simply going by our calendar. Let me just show you something here. People want to argue about when the when the seventieth week who started the beginning of the they would argue that it was one guy said, Oh, I believe it was in it was the third decree. It can't be the third decree. There's nothing in the seventh chapter, which is the third degree of Ezra that even mentions rebuilding the city. Nothing. It's just about supplying the temple. People say it has to be in the first decree. No, it can't be in any decree but the last. Now, the fourth decree, the the first decree was around 538. Now, what we're going to do is add, that was B.C., B.C. What we're going to do is add 483 years. We're going to get down to Christ, Messiah, the Prince. From the going forth of commandment to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah, the Prince, shall be 483 years or 69 of the weeks. Well, if you add... 400, not add, but you subtract it since this is B.C. You subtract 43, and that takes you to 55 B.C. Well, it can't be the first decree. That's before Christ. Then the second decree was in 520. The Bible specifically, specifically states that it was in the second year of Darius. B.C. plus 483 years. And that will be in in 37 B.C. So Christ has not come there. you got to get down to his birth and then have him 33 years old as Messiah the Prince. And then 457.56 B.C. plus 483 years, which is the, the, which is the, is seven times, seven times 69. That's unto Messiah the Prince. And that will give you Jesus 26 years old. Well, that can't be right. Then when you... 444 is the approximate time of the fourth decree. Fourth decree. Plus 483 years. And it takes you to... to 38 A.D. Now, I'm going to have to do something with each one of these dates, but I'll only do it with this last one. When you take seven years from 38, due to the seven, due to the seven years, when you got five days 
per year that you have to subtract from this due to leap years for 483 years, you end up with 32 A.D., and that's approximately when Jesus died. That would be, that has to be in the fourth decree, has to be the one that was given from the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, I've got it. Now, where I want to go here, I want to go back, which may take, it's going to take me into next week. I want to go back to the, back to this last week is going to show you, I believe it's going to be in this generation that we're living in. Do you realize that all of time was about Israel? It was about that descendants of Adam, then Seth, then Enosh, and then Canaan, Mahalalel, and then to uh, Jared and Enoch and Methuselah, and then his son was Lamech, and then Noah. And then Shem, the second born of Noah, received the blessing. It goes all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was about one family. And then Abraham was given the land. And he's told not to go after any other gods. And then when Jacob comes along, his name is changed to Israel. Israel, and he's got 12 sons that become the nation. And... The third son is Levi, and he gets to be the priesthood. The fourth son is Judah, and out of Judah would come the king. That's priest and king. And then the twelfth son, not twelfth, the eleventh son, eleventh son, eleven would be Joseph, and his second-born son was Ephraim. And Ephraim received all the inheritance of Israel. And you find that in Genesis, the 48th chapter. And notice 11 and 2. I preached a message on 11 and 2. And it's talking about 11 and 2 all through the Bible adds up. Now... Of course, Israel, when they went into the land, they didn't do the things that God said. I don't even think people... I've never heard a preacher even talk about the captivity of Israel. Never heard any preacher. Everybody knows about the bondage of 400 years. But nobody... I've never heard anybody talk about when Israel was carried after they became a nation. They were in... Egypt because Joseph was sold into Egypt and then when they come out of Egypt by Moses by Moses they come out of Egypt and God tells them as they go into the wilderness don't you go after any other gods and if you don't keep my laws and my commandments that's what it's all about obedience if you don't keep my laws and my commandments 
when you get into the land. So they end up in the land in Joshua and Judges. And they're ruled by judges at first in the land. Then they say, we want a king when they get in the land. And Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And then they're scattered at the end of that. They're scattered all over the world. And that's why they're coming back now. <coughs> and that's why... That's why May 14, 1948... They became a nation for the first time since they were carried away into captivity. 1948, and then they had the war of 1948, the, the, the war of their independence. Then they had the war of 57, and then the war of 1957. That was the Sinai War, and then 1967, the Six-Day War where they got Jerusalem back and then and then they got the Yom Kippur War of nineteen seventy three and this has to do with all of Israel. Everything in the Bible has to do with this one family. These are son, grandson, uh, grandson, great grandson, great great grandson, great 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 grandson and so forth until they become this nation and then they get carried into captivity and then God says I'll deal with you for 70 times 7 and then that'll come at the end of time and the 70 the 69 weeks entered, came when Jesus entered Jerusalem and they hailed him as king of the Jews that's not that hard it's a story can you see that? It's just a story. It's a story just like just like some nursery rhyme. Just like Rapunzel. Let down your hair, Rapunzel. It's a story. It's a story just like Cinderella that had a story to it. It's a story of a family. That's all the Bible's about. And when they come back... It will be to cause the six things of Daniel 9.24 to come about. It's really not even hard. Can you see that? I hope you can. Now, I've got to get back into these. I've given you 42 months, and that's half of... Seven years on a Jewish count. Twelve hundred and sixty days is half of a three hundred and sixty day year for three and a half years on a Jewish three hundred and sixty day calendar. Thousand two hundred and sixty. That's half of seven years on a three hundred and sixty day calendar. Now I gotta go back over to where I was last week. I'm giving you the places where you've got 1260 days 1260 days we're talking about Daniel 9:27 that he shall cause he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week but in the midst of that last week he will cause the sacrifice 
and the oblation to cease. Now, people have really misinterpreted that. The preachers, the doctors of theology, and you know why they misinterpreted it? Over one verse, Colossians 2.14, is what they don't know what it means. They ever heard a preacher deal with Colossians 2.14? Not one. I heard John MacArthur say one time, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which is contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means, John. To nail something, drive a nail through something, that had to do with a contract. Now, God's Old Testament covenant was a contract. Deuteronomy 28 is a contract. I will make your family well. I'll fill up your storehouse. I'll I'll fill up your fields. I'll fill up your basket and your store and your store basket and your store and you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways under one condition you obey me that's a contract right there that's all it is When they want to do away with one contract and start another one, they had to have two witnesses. I brought this out the other day. Two witnesses to every contract. (coughs) And they would sign a contract. Had their ways of doing it. Obedience was our way of signing the contract with God. They had to have two witnesses according to Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 17 and 19. Two witnesses. When they wanted to validate that contract and start another one, they would take the original two witnesses out in public they would take a contract out in public that asked everybody involved. Two contracting parties, is, is this what you want to do and validate this? They'd say yes. And then say to the two witnesses that were privy to the original contract, you were there when they made this agreement, they'd say yes. Is everybody agreed you want to invalidate this? They'd say yes. So they would take a nail, just like we would take a notary stamp, and drive it through the contract. That's why Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, 
which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. <laughs> All this Old Testament stuff over here with the temple, that was nailed to the cross. That was no more. This really settles a lot of things in Scripture. This settles the fact that when the preterists say that Jesus came back in 70 A.D. to see if the the Jews would believe in him, why would he do that? When he was nailed to the cross, he blotted out all of this, and the Jew became spiritual. A Jew is not outweigh but the heart. So I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that this was all blotted out over here. Now the Jew is spiritual. Every one of these, this is the house of God, and we are God's house now. And we have a high priest that goes in and sprinkles our hearts, and the high priest is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's Jesus. And he comes in and sprinkles our heart according to the according to the tenth uh, chapter of Hebrews. And everything, the church is the seven candlesticks. We being many are one bread and one body, we're the showbread. And the prayers of the saints come from that altar of incense. We give our bodies a living sacrifice on a daily cross which is no longer this brazen thing and we're washed in the blood of Christ instead of in that brazen that brassy sea. So everything over here is is literal. This now is spiritual. We're the spiritual Jew, we're the house of God, we're the temple of God, we're the candlesticks. And you're not going to understand that until you have, you have to know something about the culture. You have to know about something about handwriting of ordinances being nailed to the cross. That's everything over here. That The law having a shadow of good things to come. The good things to come was us. The shadow is skia. means a shade. The shade is not real. You go out... At 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a sunny day and you cast a shadow. The shadow's not real. You are. This is not the real thing over here. Everything over here was a shadow of Christ looking forward to His coming. Now, I was fixing to go somewhere. I don't think I have any time. Do I have any time, Mike? Two. Two minutes. I'm going to come back resume where I was the other day on the 1260 days this is going to get into the book of Revelation I know I repeated some things today do I believe you got that all of a sudden when I said it one time no (laughs) I don't believe people get it all of a sudden I didn't get it all of a sudden I've had to look at these things year after year after year after year after year I preached on the 70 weeks of Daniel in one series 18 months on Sunday morning and I didn't feel like I finished it I'm not going to preach that long this time but I'm going to get a lot more in than you think I believe 
addressing the 42 months, which is the 1260 days, which is the time and time and half of times, which is these, that's the last half of the 70th week. I believe we're aiming right at it just down the road. And I believe that is what will, we can, we have to show where that is and we can see that it's the end of time and we're headed towards that. I guess I'll just stop here, but I'm going to get into, it's in Revelation. The two times it's in the Bible is in Daniel and in Revelation. And so I will get back to where I was last week. You've got to understand, when you're studying the Bible, you see something over here, you've got to go way back over here to see what it means. You've got to go to the shadow. It's not that hard. It's just learning how to put things together. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word, and thank you for helping us to see these things. I pray you'll give me knowledge and wisdom and insight to see so I can express this to the people. Lord, fight our battles. We've got so many people who want to destroy us. Fight them for us, Lord. I'm confused about what to do about opening the church. You lead me in the way you'd have me to go. I'll praise you for everything. Strengthen the flock here, Lord. Cause them to understand these words that I'm giving them. We'll give you praise for everything. Glorify you for everything you do, which is everything. In Christ's name, amen. It takes me a long time to go through something like this. It's just overwhelming to me. And I, I'm not apologizing for repeating something. Sometimes if I don't repeat it, I'll, I can't resume right in the middle of something where I left off. Because you won't even know what I'm talking about from the week before. I have to do a lot of... I'll preach this, and then I'll go back up on this and preach this. Back, It's kind of like this. This is what I do. I'll preach this, and then I have to come back here and preach some of that that I got into, and then this way. i got to recoup things. I hope you all understand. It's This is considered... The most difficult prophecy of all the Bible by scholars and priests and preachers. I don't consider it hard because I go into really defining everything spiritually. And you can't define this unless you define it spiritually. You just can't. 